Change your job. Change your address. Change your hairstyle. Change your mate. Change, change, change. In the coming year, you will be forced to make a thousand of them. In the midst of the stampede towards success and the changes that must be made to achieve, the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 sound crazy. But before you have a heart attack or tear your family apart, please sit down for the next few minutes with us as Dave Wurtzen explores this passage in a message titled, The Grass is Greener. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to continue our study in this book about the troubled church and yet a church that was greatly loved by the Apostle Paul. Have you ever suffered from the if-onlys? If only I had a different job. Some of you are saying, if only I had a job. Going from one job interview to the next, one job opportunity the next and it doesn't seem like it works out and you say if only I had a job some of you are saying if only I were married some of you singles are saying if only I could find somebody if only that perfect somebody would come and then some of you that are married they're saying if only I weren't married now I hope none of you are saying that but Paul deals with that area You see, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7, underlying this whole passage, is a belief that the Corinthians had is that if only they could change, if only they could move up, if only they could be socially mobile, if only they could change their marital status, if only, if only, if only, then they would be satisfied. Now, I want all of you to think, are you satisfied That's such an important question. Deep in your heart, are you satisfied? Because we all want to be satisfied. We all want to be able to say, it is well with our souls. The truth of the matter is that I would say that in America today, satisfaction of the heart is a priceless commodity that so few people have. And that's why the message of the great Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, in probably the most difficult passage of all of 1 Corinthians, if I were to choose a passage which has been confused, has been twisted, has been made to put a burden on people, the passage we look at today is that passage. And yet, the Spirit's intent through the Apostle Paul was not to put a noose around your neck, but it was to take the noose off of your neck and teach every single one of us how to be satisfied. He begins in verses 17 through 19 as we begin talking about the grass is greener syndrome. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. If only I could change. As Paul begins to interact with that Corinthian belief, which I believe can be Dave Wurtzen's belief, maybe your belief, he begins like this in verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the principle. This is the guidance. This is the rule that I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? In other words, was he a Jewish individual that was circumcised when he was called into the family of God? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. 
An uncircumcision is nothing. A phrase that doesn't hit us very strong, but when I put it in the context of the first century church, that was an unbelievable statement for a Jewish man to make. Circumcision doesn't mean anything. And uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. What counts, what's really important, is keeping God's commands. That's what counts. Verse 20, each one should remain in the situation which he was when he was called, when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Boy, this is a tough one. Don't let it trouble you. Paul, you got to be kidding. I'm a slave. I have to do what my master tells me to do. I don't have that priceless thing called American freedom. Paul, what do you mean, don't let it trouble you? Man, Jesse Jackson's promising me we can be free. Upward mobility. We can all get it. Nothing wrong with that. Except one thing. You can get it all and it won't satisfy you. He says, don't let it trouble you. You got a low social position? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, if you can become socially upward mobile, great. If you can gain your freedom, do so. For he, now get this, for he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, the price of the shed blood of the Lamb of God. Don't let any man enslave you. Don't become a slave to man when you've been bought by such an infinite price. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called him to. Let's look at this first section where the Apostle Paul says two basic things. Number one, Christ is bigger than your religious affiliation. And number two, in verses 20 through 24, we'll look at Christ bigger than our social position. Paul begins in verses 17 and 18 by affirming the neutrality of religious customs. If when you came into the family of God, you were circumcised, then don't be uncircumcised and vice versa. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to us because circumcision and uncircumcision in our church is really not that big a deal. It's not that big a stress in our religious circles. The ceremony in the eighth day of a baby's life in our culture is not really that much. But you've got to go back in the first century and understand that for a Jew, the essence covenant relationship with God was to be circumcised. And so as you move through the Greco-Roman world, you would come in contact with a very special select group of people called the circumcised. And they were proud of it. They were the circumcised. They were the ones that were the chosen people of God. They were the ones that were the sons of Abraham. They were the ones that were given the revealed will of God in the Holy Scriptures. They were the special chosen people of God, the Jews. Now, how could Paul ever say circumcision doesn't count for anything? Because a new day had dawned. On Palm Sunday, at the triumphal entry, the king had finally come. And the chosen people, the Jewish people, whose goal of the Spirit of God was to bring the Messiah into the world, had, as a nation, given birth to the King of Kings. 
They had kept themselves separate as a people. Circumcision had served all through the Old Testament to keep that Jewish nation very pure and very special to bring the Messiah into the world. But now a new day had come where God was going to throw open the people of God and the family of God to all men and women, whether Jews or Gentiles. The Apostle Paul was a representative of that new day, of that new covenant, of a covenant where circumcision would not be something that's put in your foreskin, but it's something that's put in your heart. It's something that happens inside of you. And the Apostle Paul can therefore say, are you a Jew culturally? Great. Don't stop being a Jew culturally. Are you a Gentile culturally? Don't stop being a Gentile. Because in reality, it doesn't really make any difference as far as you're standing before God, whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile. What really counts is if you've obeyed the commands of God, which for Paul would be rooted in have you come to Christ and believed in Him? Have you committed yourself to the fact of what He did on the cross of Calvary. Because that was the essence, according to the book of Romans, of how we can obey God. We can only obey God by allowing the life of Christ to come and live inside of us. And then His power works out through us. And what the external law could never do, what the law written on tablets of stone could never do, Christ can do in our heart. Now that's not much of a debate for you whether or not you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Down in our culture, there's not a lot of Jewish people around. And so we have different cultural groups. We have the Baptist group. We have the Methodist group. Now, the Bible church group. What group are you in? What group is really important to you? Yesterday, I had the privilege of taking Joel up to Redbird. And it was very interesting. You know, it was a different culture. And it was really a privilege just to be able to go in and just, it's almost like being in a totally different setting. It's a different setting than mine. And they're proud of their traditions, and I'm proud of mine. Where do you stand? What's really important to you? Do you realize that Dallas is being torn apart over cultural differences today? You see, when I first came to Dallas, it was all very much under the service. Man, we had good relationships between all the people, didn't we? Everybody smiled in the stores. But underneath, there's this seething cauldron of, I'm proud to be me. I'm proud of my color. I'm proud of my traditions. I'm proud of who I am. And if I have the power, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm proud of my church. I heard a Baptist speaking recently at a big convention. He said something like this. There was a Methodist and a Presbyterian and a Baptist that were sharing, and they were asking what denomination the Apostle Paul would be if he were alive today. And the Presbyterians say, well, definitely he would be a Presbyterian. He would be changed in the modern world and be a Presbyterian because he preached so strongly about the security of the believer. And the Methodist said, oh, no, the, the Paul would be a Methodist. He would definitely be a follower of John Wesley because of the tremendous stress upon the need for evangelism and going from one place to another and also the ritual 
you know, the orderliness of the Apostle Paul and his discipline, he would have to be a Methodist. He would have to change to be a Methodist. And they asked about it, well, what do you think? And he said, well, I hadn't heard the Apostle Paul had changed his church affiliation. <laughs> now, we all laugh about that, but underneath, it's a very powerful thing. And what I want all of you to realize is that God could care less. I want to say this real loud and clear. Because it'll free you up so much. You know, God could care less whether you're a Baptist, whether you're a Methodist, whether you're a Presbyterian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Islamic, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're Buddhist. God could care less what you are culturally. And He's going to save all kinds of people. What He cares about is have you fall in love with his son, Jesus Christ. You see, a real king came. He actually came. A transcendent king. A king who is for the world. You've got to understand that. You see, it's infiltrating a lot of our thinking. Well, I'm a nice Bible church person. We believe in Jesus. What do you believe in? Oh, I'm a Baptist. Oh, I'm a Jew. We all have our nice little beliefs. Forget it. That's not at all what I'm teaching you. You know what I'm teaching you? I'm teaching you that in a moment of time, when this life ends, you and I both are going to stand before the Lord. And from the bottom of my heart, I beg you not to say, when God says, well, why should I let you into my family? I beg you not to say, I was a member of Midlothian Bible Church. God will go, uh-huh. What? What was that? Why should I let you into my family? You say, well, I was a member of Midlothian Bible Church. And a Baptist sitting next to you says, well, I'm a Baptist. And a Jew says, I follow the way of Judaism. I would tremble before the throne of God talking like that. From the bottom of my heart, I want you to know what I believe. Never in a million years would I stand before a righteous, holy God and say, well, I was a good Bible churcher. Because one day, and this is true, one day I will stand before God and he will look at me and I will say, your son is all I'm depending on. A historical Jesus that gave his life for me, that I was honest enough to face the truth about my life. And I let that message of Jesus go deep into my heart and I said, oh Jesus, you gave your life for me. I trust you. I depend upon you. I believe you're alive. That's the only ground of faith. And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. That's all that's important. And over 1900 years of church history, Satan has done it dastardly. It's to me the most heinous lie he ever told. And that's the idea that there are Christian people, there are Jewish people, there are Islamic people. There are Hindu people in all the different cultures. And what we need to do is to get people to change in our culture. We go to Jewish people and say, well, you need to become a Gentile. You need to eat ham sandwiches if you want to get in the kingdom of God. That's not going to ever fly. Jesus Christ said, you cannot eat ham sandwiches your whole life. Don't eat any of them. What are you going to do with the Messiah? And that's why there can be Messianic Jews that keep all their Jewish customs. But they're born again, just like you and me. So much of the church, I cannot go through the history of the terrible agony that's been brought into the church because the church would not listen to the Apostle Paul when he said, circumcision means nothing. 
Uncircumcision means nothing. Enjoy all your different cultures. But it's not the reality of existence. Oh, do you understand that? I want you to go out into all the world this week. I want you to represent the only man, the only God-man of truth that can save the people you work with, that can satisfy troubled people, that can help kids to live the right life. And I want every single one of us to realize He's here with us and for us to be truthful with Him. With an incredible statement for a, a Pharisee like Paul, a man who lived most of his life believing the only way he could get to God was to be circumcised, to become Jewish. And he rigorously obeyed all those Jewish traditions. And now he writes by the Spirit of God, circumcision doesn't mean anything. Unbelievable. Uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. What counts is are you obeying the commands of God? And here is the essence of obedience for you to hear the gospel that Christ died for your sins and to respond to it. The neutrality of religious customs. When your Baptist friend or your Presbyterian friend or your Methodist friend tries to compete with you, start to turn the discussion to the person of Jesus. Do you realize, you know, I think we're one with the other churches in town that proclaim the gospel. I don't think there's any difference at all as far as the Heavenly Father is concerned. I don't think the Heavenly Father looks and says, well, there's my Bible church family, and there's my Baptist family, and there's my Methodist family, and there's his Presbyterian family. I think the Lord just looks at this whole area and He sees children of God and children of darkness. And His heart weeps over the children of darkness. And I think sometimes we bring tears to His eyes because we are quibbling over which room of the family house you're going to live in when hardly anybody's inside. And the Apostle Paul's message to us is, it doesn't make any difference what your religion is, what your customs are, the clothes you wear, the food you eat. Don't get all bound in that. What really counts is have you done personal business with a living Christ that's genuinely there. The necessity of obeying God's moral commandments through the power of the Holy Spirit is what counts. So Christ is bigger than religious affiliations. You got that? Number two, Christ is bigger than social position. This is a tough one. And oh, my heart goes out to a lot of you. People being out of work and people not knowing you know, where the next paycheck is going to come in. Social position, loss of a job. There's some of you right now that are in a big transition in your life. Some of my closest friends are retiring after years and years of working for a company. And I feel like I'm inside of you. I can see you wondering, what about now? Who am I now? Some of my friends out there right now, you've lost your job and your identity has been, I was A, and then you filled in your job. But now the job has been taken away. And you're asking the question, who am I now? Who am I now? The Apostle Paul is speaking to that need in verses 20 and following. Look what he says. He says, now what I mean, brothers, verse 20, each one of you should remain in the situation which he was called when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Verse 21, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom to do so, do so. 
For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man has a responsibility to God and he should remain in the situation God called him. Now, this is the big issue that's at stake in these verses. Christ produces a radical change in our lives. When you're born again into God's family, He makes you a new person inside. He gives you a new capacity inside. You become adopted into a new family. It really makes a difference. The Corinthians wanted to say that they needed to change everything. They needed to change their jobs. They needed to change their friends. They needed to change their culture, in other words. They needed to change their marital status. A whole bunch of them thought it would be more holy if they were single. You know, it sounds incredible to us, but in the first century church, that was a strategic idea. A terrible idea. But it was an idea that gained a strong foothold in the church. The whole idea is you come to Christ, now you need to change everything. I think that's one of the most dastardly lies, again, that Satan tells us. You see, some of you were in a certain culture when you were saved. I want you to see what these verses are saying. Some of you are saved in chaparral steel. When you were called of God, when the Spirit of God worked in your heart, you were born again while you were working for chaparral. Some of you are working for Gifford Hill. Some of you are working for TXI. Some of you are school teachers. Some of you are in the university. Some of you work for GM. We could go on and on and on. All the different places you were when God called you. Now, what does God say to you? Well, a lot of people think that, well, now I've become a believer. Now I need to change everything. No, you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that the place where you were when God called you is a special calling for you. It's a special place for you. And God calls you to live for Christ where you are. You see, I think we're often telling people, you need to go, you need to go, you need to go, and that's true. But you see, the only way you can know where you need to go is to be doing what you're supposed to be doing where you are. I've been on the mission field doing hours of counseling with missionaries that were doing nothing after they went. You understand what I mean by that? You see, they hadn't realized what we're talking about this morning. That Christ needs to be the every day of my life. He needs to make me be a great, godly, ethical, holy, veterinarian, doctor, GM worker, line worker, construction worker, and on and on and on. You see, Christ is going to choose out from our midst some strategic people that need to go and introduce the gospel to another culture. But the Lord's going to call a whole bunch of us, most of us, to stay right where we are when we were called. And He's going to call you right in that insurance office where you are and says, I've radically changed you. I've made you a new creation in Christ. And you're living right in the middle of a pagan office. Now you shine. Be unashamed of me. Trust me. Some of you say, well, Dave, you don't know my boss. Are you a slave? 
See, all of you say, well, yeah, Dave, I think I am a slave. Man, I, I'm a slave to my company. When I punch in the clock, I'm a slave. That's true for a lot of you. I think that's very true. I think the modern equivalent of the slavery that we're talking about here, because the slavery in the first century was not like the American slavery about 150 years ago. It was really more like the bottom rung of a ladder. Not that there wasn't that kind of heinous slavery in the galleys of the ships. There was terrible slavery in the Roman Empire. But much of the slavery was just like you were the bottom rung, like you were a Greek who was very learned, you were conquered by the Romans, and the Romans made you their slaves, which meant you had to teach their children all the arts of Greece. But it was still the bottom rung, and there was still somebody else telling you what to do. Now think about it. In your life, do you have a boss over you that tells you what to do? You're a servant to you. Your kids are shaking their head. Yeah, my school teachers. Okay, that's tough. The toughest thing for us is to have someone else tell us what to do. Now, you know what begins to happen? Now, get this. A whole lot of you begin to make your entire life that job, that company, that organization. You see, some of you can think back over maybe 10 or 12 years ago where a new company was started and you became a part of it. And man, they expressed a lot of understanding for you. They really loved you. They sent you to special training. And boy, there was a positive spirit because the money was rolling in. Boy, was it rolling in. And everybody's happy in the world. When money's rolling in, it's like being on a winning football team. Man, when you're winning, everybody loves one another and they're, and they're devoted to one another. And what a great privilege it is to be on this team. Wait till they start losing. And the money's not coming in. And they start making decisions about cutting. And they start standing right on your back saying, why don't you produce? Why don't you produce? You know what starts to happen in a whole lot of our lives? The meaning of our life goes right out the window. What am I doing? Who am I? What have I done? That's what a slave in the first century could feel. A slave of the first century could say, what's the meaning of my life? Every morning i got to get up. The master of the house says, you need to clean this bathroom. You need to make this meal. And on and on and on and on. And the slave could say, man, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. But what meaning does my life have? I'm just a slave. Man, I can never live for Christ. If only I were free. Then I could travel with the Apostle Paul. Then I could be like Timothy. And I could tell everybody about Christ. Then the Lord could really use me. And the Apostle Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. You know what the Apostle Paul says to a slave? He says, if you're a slave, and I'm concerned about some of you because I think you're a slave to your job. I think you're scared to death about your job. I think some of you get in situations where you feel totally bound in your job. Because you're a slave. And Paul comes to you today and says, listen, the head of any company you're working for does not control your destiny. I'm going to say that again. There's not a boss that controls anybody's destiny. And there's not one of you that work for a boss who really has your life in his hands. Do you hear that loud and clear? I weep for you if you think otherwise because one of the biggest burdens of your life is for you to feel that another human being controls my existence. You know what freedom is? 
Freedom is knowing that I am the Father's Son. Freedom is knowing that today I am my heavenly daddy's boy. And oh, I want you all to have that freedom. You see, I know that my heavenly Father has set me free. Free to obey Him. Free to live a meaningful life for Him. Free to be able to influence other people for Him. Free to grow into Christ's likeness. And I know that my Heavenly Father will feed me. I know that He'll put a roof over my head. At times I might not be that happy about the kind of accommodations He gives me, but He promises me He'll give me in this life my daily needs and then He'll let me live in a palace when He's through changing me and transforming me. And that's freedom. Now He says, if you get a great job offer, if you're a slave and they say, man, we want to make you free, as a believer, sure, go ahead and be free. Sure, go ahead and not be a slave anymore. That's fine. But then don't forget... If you become a master, that you're not free. You're a slave to God. Every decision you make is, it needs to be evaluated before the throne of God. You really work for God. So my message to you is, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? The only way you're going to be satisfied is if you're a slave to Jesus Christ. You know, some of you are scared to death. You're incognito believers during the week. You know why? You're afraid you're going to lose your job. You really stand up for Christ? You really go public for Christ? You say, man, I lose my job. I want to tell you something. If you don't live for Christ and you don't honor Him, you're going to lose a whole lot more than your job. And if you really understand reality, you'll understand what I'm saying. You see, Jesus said, if you want to gain your life... You need to lose it. Say, Dave, does not make any sense? I'm spending my whole life hanging on to it. You can't. Just like that, God's going to take your life whenever He wants to take it. So you might as well relax about it. Boy, it's a tremendous freedom. My Heavenly Father is going to feed me today. You know what's wrong with so many of us? We don't really believe that. Lee and Tecker were sharing with me down there at the Word of Life Bible Institutes a couple of years ago, a few years ago, they took very seriously, I will not be a debtor to any man. And they said, we will not purchase food or anything else on credit. And it was just a burden that the Lord gave them. Not that that's what every believer needs to do, but that's what they decided to do. And it came down, the kids just had soup, Real watered-down soup, just crackers. And one day there was nothing. And Lee and Tekka looked at me and they almost started to cry. They said, you know, those were some of the greatest days in our Christian life. Because an entire student body of over 200 kids would gather together for breakfast and the head of the school would have to say, I'm sorry, there's no breakfast today. There's just nothing. And we're just going to have to pray. And the student body pray. You really pray when there's no breakfast. And Lee and Tech assured how a butcher in town found out about their need and that day brought in the meat that they would need for lunch. Believers that start to live like that are believers that start to live. And if I were to ask any believer about those times in their life 
when they genuinely recognize it all depends upon Him. Those are the times, the special moments, the special times where God's presence is so real. Now, I'm not talking about doing foolish things. The Apostle Paul is telling us, if you were saved in a certain job, you don't change it. You don't drop out and say, God, feed me from heaven. That's not at all what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that we have a heavenly Father that we're ultimately dependent upon. And therefore, those of us that are in Christ, they can announce in the news the economy has gone up. And we can go, thank you, Father. I appreciate it. Maybe there will be some more jobs out there. Maybe some more money. And if the economy goes down, we can say, Heavenly Father, am I glad I'm not dependent upon that? And I want to share with you, those of you that have gray hairs in this audience, if you think back over your life, hasn't the economy gone like this all your life? Are you happy when it's high? Are you unhappy when it's low? Are you satisfied when it's all kinds of neat trips and neat little things you can get, but you're totally depressed when it's all gone? I covet for you, brothers and sisters. I want you to be free. The Lord Jesus, just to be honest with you, is just beginning to teach me just a tiny bit what it means just to relax in Him. To be able to use the world, but not need it. You see, the Lord's not calling us to asceticism. The Lord's not calling us to reject the world. The Lord's not calling us to go and live in grass huts. That's not at all what Paul is saying. What he's saying is, you need to live in the world, but not be of it. And you say, well, Dave, that's really tough. Yeah, it is. Because the hardest thing for our life is to believe that God is there. And He's a loving Daddy. He's going to take us home. He's going to provide for us now. But I promise you that He will. Our message, God's message for you, is please be free. Please be free. If the meaning of your life is in your job, you're going to be a slave. If it's ever taken away, you're going to become terribly depressed. And the whole meaning structure of your life will cave in. What I'm saying to you is that there can be joy, there can be solidity, there can be hope, there can be love, even when it looks like all the worldly situations are just slavery. Will you open your eyes and see Jesus? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're moving among us today. And, oh, Lord, I thank you for family love. I thank you for that spirit-given gift that enables us to be able to conquer sin through the power of Christ, to be able to face disease and physical suffering. We thank you for the joy of laughter together. And I just would pray with all of our hearts that you would cause us to catch a new vision of what it means to find their total identity, their entire being, the total meaning of their life in the unseen reality, but the concrete reality, the presence of the resurrected Savior. In Jesus' name.